At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A warmer for the low, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. For Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Pearson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast and We've got a great podcast for you, as in mere hours, we are going to know what the field of 68 looks like, and also, we're going to know the NIT field as well, so those of you guys that are looking forward to that, have no fear, we're going to be handicapping the NCAA tournament, the NIT, the CBI, if they bring back the Vegas 16, which wound up having eight teams, we're going to be doing that as well, so we've got you guys all covered there, but in the meantime, we've got five games today, so in the final segment, we're going to give you guys picks and analysis on those games as we hit some bank shots, side and total on every one of them. In the second segment, we're going to be joined by Tristan Freeman. Does a great job over there at Bussin' Brackets. We're going to get his thoughts on some of the games that we wound up seeing on Saturday. Some of the teams that over the last few days have helped themselves, hurt themselves. Take a look at a team or two that might be a little bit of a Cinderella candidate for your bracket as well. So we're going to be diving into that. Tristan does absolutely amazing work. And as per usual, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast as well. Got one of two ways we offer this in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore Keep in mind, letters EM, Amy does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. They wind up getting in quite a few questions with regards to how I wind up setting my totals with regards to this time of year. If I wind up shading down my numbers and... Absolutely, I do. I think that you guys have noticed this with regards to the spreadsheet. The numbers, they aren't typically what you typically be putting out when it comes to, like, a mundane game in January. I do wind up shading down these totals. You've got neutral court games. On top of that, the teams are going to be playing in these games. They're playing three games in three days, four games in four days. We've really been noticing quite a few unders recently here in college basketball as I record this. We've got 26 games in the bag from Saturday. 15 of them wind up going under, and if you take a look at, like, Michigan State, that game going over, the Dayton versus Richmond game, that was a miracle over as well, so, I mean, if you take out some of those absolute calamities, you've been seeing a big trend to the under, and also, we've seen just in the last seven days in general, so, dating back to last Saturday, 120 unders, 106 overs, as I record this, 53.1% to the under, so, I do wind up shading down my totals with that aspect, so it is something that I'm going to be taking note of, and when it comes to everything that we wound up getting in college basketball on Saturday, let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Now I'll throw out there the disclaimer that there are going to be a few West Coast contests that I am not going to have finals on since I am doing the Greg Peterson experience over there at VEASAN that is from 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern Time, Pacific Time, 
10 to 1, so I have to have this done by right around like 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific time, so that way I'm able to post it up, have it here for your listening enjoyment. But with that said, we do wind up seeing a great day of college basketball from the Atlantic 10 as it's going to be Davidson and Richmond doing battle in that final. Davidson did their part, taking down St. Louis by a count of 84 to 69. For St. Louis, I certainly hope that this team winds up finding their way to the NIT or something. Fun team to watch. They wound up having their top scorer in Javante Perkins go down before the season. Yuri Collins did all that he could. 13 points, 7 assists, 3 turnovers in this game for St. Louis. Only 9 turnovers, but Davidson, one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball, went 10 of 23 from 3 pointers. Foster Lawyer is back after he dealt with an injury. 21 points out of him. And then 6'10", Luka Bravich was able to give you 14 points, 10 boards, and 5 assists. So, Davidson able to get the job done there, and then had an unfortunate injury for Dayton as Malachi Smith wound up going down towards the beginning part of the second half in this one, and Richmond used that to be able to spear at a run, get the job done 68-64. to Dayton was up by 14 points. Smith winds up going out of the fold after 18 minutes, and then from there, they just could not maintain. You did have Tamani Kamara give you 17 points, 14 boards, so Dayton very much on the bubble going into Sunday, and boy, if this Richmond team went just 4 of 16 from 3-point range, but they did a relatively solid job of taking care of the ball. Just 5 turnovers. Jacob Gilliard, headliner for this, 11 points, 1 turnover, 4 steals, 5 assists, did a very solid job for this team. And then for Dayton, also 9 of 13 at the free throw line. That one being a little bit costly for them. If you take a look at the America East, Vermont, they got the job done. They are a team that ranks in the top 40 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. And they just completely bubbled UMBC by kind of 82 to 43 in this game. Vermont went 7 to 17 from three pointers. Ryan Davis, Ben Shungu, a combined 39 points. They won the rebound battle 39 to 28. They turned the ball over in this game a mere seven times. It's a Vermont team that, as a 13-14 seed, they could be relatively dangerous out there in the NCAA tournament as you wind up having UMBC, by the way, wind up scoring a grand total of seven points in the final nine minutes when they knew that they needed to score. So, and that shows you just what Vermont is able to do with that aspect. You've got an Ivy League final that's going to be involving Princeton and Yale. Princeton able to get the job done against Cornell by kind of 77-73. Cornell had been one of the better over teams in all of college basketball and really a team that had been able to cover a lot of spreads as well. If you take a look at these Ivy League teams, they've actually been able to do a solid job against the spread because they wound up pretty much opting out of last season. Nobody wound up playing any games. I think that there were a lot of people that had no idea whatsoever what they were able to get out of these teams. Got to figure that Cornell season is done after they had an against the spread record of 16-8. and eight. Princeton, by the way, they are finding themselves 12-13-1 against the spread, but that said, for this game, game wound up dying a little bit late as you wound up having this game 67-66 to with 6.30 remaining. And then from there, you wound up getting a grand total of 70 points in the final 6.30. So if you wound up having the over like me, that was relatively brutal. But for Princeton, the guy that was able to get it done, Jalen Newellen, 23 points. Princeton goes 11-25 for three points, just 6-11 of 11 at the free throw. And I'll be hitting upon that in the final segment when I break down their matchup against Yale. We had the DK Nation pick up the over in this game. Once again, a Another game that winds up dying a total of 70 points in the final 630 or so in this one as Yale gets the job done by a count of 67 to 61. In this game, he did wind up having Jordan Dingle go off for Ben 28 points, but for Yale, it's all about Azir Swain. 25 points. He is really one of the most important cogs to a respective offense at all of college basketball. Take him out. I don't know where Yale would be, so he was able to do that. 
a guy that was very important to Iowa, that would be Jordan Bohannon. The bank was open early in Indiana, 80-77. to The final history lifts the team to victory. As you wound up having Indiana looked relatively solid in this game. I know that Tristan Freeman is going to be talking about this game a little bit later, but Trace Jackson Davis, 31 points, 10 boards, multiple blocks in this contest, but Keegan Murray did his part, 32 points, 9 rebounds. Got an Iowa team that scored at least 75 points and now 11 out of their last 12 contests. And for this Iowa bunch, you did wind up having the team do a relatively solid job of being able to take care of the ball. Just 11 turnovers in this game. You wind up having that Bohannon three lift the team to victory as Iowa 14 of 32 from three-point range. They actually shoot better from three-point range on the road than at home. And if you're looking at your top over teams in all of college basketball, shock, shock, surprise, surprise. Iowa is one of them. Now 22 overs, 11 unders, and one push for the season. So they certainly have been able to make you a lot of coin on overs. Northern Colorado and UAB have been relatively solid over teams as well. I'm doing this as Montana State and Northern Colorado is just finishing up. This game did wind up going over the total. As I do this, about a buck 30 left. Northern Colorado is down by 20. So Montana State winds up getting the job done as they went 10 out of their first 18 from three-point range. You wind up having Xavier Bishop go off 19 points, eight assists for him in this contest. So Montana State going to be going to the NCAA tournament, going to be intriguing to see what we wind up getting out of them. So that was another over for Northern Colorado. Hopefully we wind up getting them in a postseason tournament because they've been a lot of fun to watch. It's also been a lot of fun to watch this Texas A&M team and what they've been able to do. 82 to 64. They wind up taking down an Arkansas team that had come in winners of 15 out of their last 17 contests for Arkansas. 3 of 18 from three-point range. Couldn't get anything going there. Stanley and Moody was able to give you 20 points, but Texas A&M won the turnover battle by a count of 15 to 13, and they won the rebound battle by a count of 38 to 25. This is an A&M team that they don't have a single guy that averages more than six and a half rebounds per game, but you just take a look at the team rebounding that they were able to get in this contest. Seven different guys give you at least three rebounds in this contest. They did a good job of utilizing their depth as well. Quinn Jackson was able to really headline this team. 20 points, 6 assists, 4 steals. They wind up committing 4 turnovers, but Texas A&M, they get the job done, and they're going to be advancing against a Tennessee team that just completely shut down Kentucky. 69-62, to finalist one. Kentucky just couldn't make any threes. 2 of 20 from 3 par range. Nobody was bearing those shots. Oscar Sheboy held the 13 points and 11 rebounds as he fouled out. Tennessee had a very good game plan. A Tennessee team that might have been a little bit outgunned with regards to size, but for Tennessee... Brendan Hundley Hartfield is a guy that you want to be taking note of. Eight points, six rebounds. Very highly touted freshman. Has been a little bit up and down this year, but has now been able to give the team six plus rebounds in four out of the last six games. It really was a little bit of a concern for Tennessee after they wound up having John Fulkerson. Not necessarily be what we were expecting him to be coming into the year. You wound up having a couple of injuries along the way as well, but he's really been able to do a solid job for the team. Now Tennessee three-point shooting is a little bit of ride for the team. It was solid yesterday. Six of 15 from three-point range, so certainly want to be taking out of that, but for Kentucky, just a case in which they couldn't wind up bearing any threes. I still think that this is a team that's in fine form going into the NCAA tournament. Houston's in good form going into the American final as they wind up taking down Tulane by a count of 86 to 66 in this game for Houston. 11 to 29 three point shooting. Kyler Edwards very nearly went off for a triple double 20 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds, and now they're going to look to get revenge on a Memphis team that beat them twice during the regular season. Memphis gets the job done 70 to 63 in this one. SMU just wound up stopping score. In this one late, they were able to cut the lead to two with right around three or so minutes remaining. And then from there, they wound up getting outscored eight to two in the final stretch of the game. As for SMU, they're going to be sweating out their fate on Selection Sunday. They did have the Weathers brothers combined for 28 points in this one, but they got completely bludgeoned on the glass. Memphis 
48 rebounds. SMU just 25 for SMU. They did wind up getting the benefit of some nice calls as Memphis wound up having 19 fouls in this game. Some of them not necessarily warranted as DeAndre Williams wound up fouling out of this game relatively early, but Memphis able to overcome that. They are able to get the job done. Purdue, they were able to get the job done against Michigan State. If you, like me, wound up having the under. 98 second half points wound up torpedoing this one. 75 to 70. Purdue gets the win. They do not cover, though, as Michigan State interestingly did not wind up felling towards the back half of this game, but for Purdue they were able to get the job done because they did wind up having Jaden Ivey go off for 22 points, 9 boards, 5 assists. Zach Eady was able to give you 10 and 11 himself and then for Michigan State, just 7 of 25 from 3 point range. It's a team that really likes a star. Perhaps they're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of A.J. Hogard in the NCAA tournament as well. Has had his moments of brilliance, has had his moments of carelessness, but has been able to take care of the ball recently, has committed 2 turnovers or fewer in 5 out of the team's last 6 contests and Came off the bench, 17 points, 10 assists. I actually like what I saw out of him. Now, you did have a Michigan State team that wound up committing quite a few fouls in this game, but just four turnovers as well. So Michigan State actually looking in halfway decent form going into the NCAA tournament. St. Peter's, a top 25 team with regards to defensive efficiency. They got it done with defense against Monmouth in the Metro Atlantic Final, 60-54 to the final. I can't remember the last time I saw a team wind up getting 54 points on 12 made field goals, but you wound up having that be the case for Monmouth. They went 12-51 one from the floor, 27 of 33 at the free throw line, so they were able to get to the charity stripe, but they couldn't bury shots to save their lives. 3 of 19 from three-point range for the Peacocks of St. Peter's. They wound up losing the rebound battle by a count of 40 to 34, but that's just because Monmouth was having so many misses, and you wound up having a big performance out of Doug Eggert for St. Peter's to be able to get the job done in this one. A St. Peter's team that they do commit right around 14 turnovers per contest, but they shoot as a collective about 36% from three. Eggert came in off the bench. He went off for 20 points, and St. Peter's, 15 of 21 at the free throw line. They were able to do a relatively solid job with Casey Undefu being able to give you four blocks. He actually led off college basketball in terms of blocks per game last season. Texas Southern, they're going to the NCAA tournament. They completely plow Elkhorn State by a count of 87 to 62 in this one. You wind up having Texas Southern 18 that they don't do a lot of threes. They wound up doing so in this one as well. Four of nine from distance, so they played to their form. They wound up doing a solid job on the glass, winning that battle by a count of 44 to 35. It's a Texas Southern team that earlier this year went to Gainesville, and they knocked off Florida. You've got a guy in John Walker III that had 17 points, six boards in this game as... You wind up having six different guys for Texas Southern. Wind up putting up at least eight points in this game, including the Houston transfer in Bryson Gresham. Ten points, seven boards, five blocks for a guy that wound up seeing starts on a team that wound up making the final four last season. Villanova, a win but no cover as they wind up taking the Big East crown. 54 to 48, the final Creighton. Three of 29 from three-point range. That is going to doom you no matter what. And for Villanova, they weren't all like a lot better. They went 8 of 32 from three-point range. Villanova, though, one of the top free-throw shooting teams at all of college basketball. 8 of 12 at the free-throw line is actually really bad for them because they shoot for the season right around 83-ish percent of the free-throw line, but it's just a case in which both of these teams went cold. It was a very slow and grimy game. You do wind up having Eric Dixon for this Villanova team. Fight through a little bit of, I believe it was a stomach flu or something like that. Only 14 minutes in this one, but Caleb Daniels was able to step in. He wanted giving the team a full allotment of minutes, and Villanova did a solid job on the glass, only losing that battle by one, and they wind up taking on the Big East crown. You wind up having Akron completely take down Kent State by kind of 75-55. to 55. For Kent State, they wind up having quite a few guys be suspended for the first half of this game, so you did wind up noticing that Malik Jacobs did not wind up playing in the first half, and in the second half, he gave the team seven points, four assists, but just too little, too late. Akron highly efficient with their offense. 10 19 from three-point range. Kent State, they go 7 of 17 from distance, and if you take a look at 
it. Akron was up at the half by a count of 34-25. to 25. So with the guys back for Kent State, they actually lost by more in the second half rather than the first half as it looked like they were going to be able to make things close. Did not wind up coming to fruition. Enrique Freeman, 23 points, 8 boards. Akron is going to the NCAA tournament. John Gross, a guy that wound up just completely flaming out at Illinois. Well, he's been able to do a good job in the MAC. Wound up leading that Ohio team who 10 years ago actually very nearly wound up making the Elite Eight as a, I think it was 13 seed. So that was rock solid. Kansas, they were rock solid against Texas Tech. 74 to 65, the final. Texas Tech actually showed some signs of life on offense. They were able to do a solid job there, but 6 of 13 at the free throw line wound up really torpedoing their chances of being able to get this W. Meanwhile, for Kansas, Remy Martin came in off the bench. He was able to give the team 12 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. That's a very good sign for Kansas as O'Shea Obaji winds up giving you 16 points, but also what was big for the team, you wound up having David McCormick go off for a double double, 18 points, 11 rebounds. He was able to chip in there and assist as well. So Kansas, they get the job done. They were able to get the win. They were able to get the cover as well. And then if you're taking a look at a team that has been very good to the over, UAB, they wind up playing an over. They wind up getting the job done against Louisiana Tech. If you're looking at them for the season, they've now played 21 overs, 10 unders, and a push. It's a team that ranks in the top 40 in all of college basketball in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. So it's going to be very interesting to see what we wind up getting out of them come the NCAA tournament. By the way, Mammoth, if you're looking at under teams, going back to them for a little bit, they finish off the year with 11 overs at 2300. So that was certainly a case of which you do wind up seeing a team that has been very solid there. Get the job done. If you're looking for another team that's going to be going dancing that has a demonstrative trend because Mammoth, they're not going. St. Peter's, they are. They've got a good ATS trend. They are 20-9 and against the spread. The only teams that have had a better cover rate all season long, that is Middle Tennessee and Jacksonville, though Long Beach State is a team that is pending. I am doing this before their Big West final game wound up being played, so it's going to be interesting to see what winds up happening there, and it's going to be really interesting to see what we wind up getting all March long. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Tristan Freeman. He does a great job over there at Bus and Brackets. We're going to be taking a look at Sunday's games. We're going to be getting his reactions as well, and if you're looking for a little bit more this March, we've got you just covered all tournament long over here at VEASAN. We've got a great deal that we're going to be running throughout March. You go to VEASAN.com slash madness, and if you wind up going there, you're able to get everything that we wind up doing for the next month or so. This is going to be going through April 5th for $19. You wind up getting our VEASAN College Basketball Betting Guide. That is going to be out on Tuesday. We're going to be previewing all 68 teams. You're going to get my bracket on there, so I'm going to be doing a bracket preview podcast tomorrow, so you want to be on the lookout for that. I'm going to be giving you guys a little bit more ATS I'll be on VEASAN a little bit more doing that as well. You'll be able to stream VEASAN.com all for free tomorrow as well as we're doing our Selection Sunday shows as well. So I have no fear there. I've got you guys covered against the spread and with regards to a bracket podcast tomorrow, but I'll also have it in just full written form. Just you're able to copy and paste it from the bracket guide. So we've got you guys covered there. You'll be getting just everything that I'm tweeting out with regards to just a little bit more insight in general as to how I'm going to be looking at a lot of these colors basketball games. I'm going to be siding with some of these teams, some of the things that I'm going to be looking at, some of the stuff that I wind up just doing every single day on the podcast. I'll be able to make it a little bit easier for you guys to be able to digest in a written form as well. So we've got you guys covered there and you're also going to be getting the insights of guys like John Von Tobel, Matt Eumann, some of the best in the business. 19 bucks, vcin.com slash madness. We've got you guys covered there and Tristan Freeman has us covered with some great insights next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hughes-Pearson, now part of the Vsin Family Podcast.
Sean Love You Las Vegas for Jessica Soups with myself, Greg Abe Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. And it is always a pleasure to get on this guest as he does a terrific job over there at Bus and Brackets, a guy that is holding it down in the great state of Pennsylvania, takes a look at college basketball all 12 months of the year. He, much like myself, absolutely lives for this as we do have Tristan Freeman joining me on the podcast to be able to follow him on Twitter. You're able to follow the network itself at Bus and Brackets. And then for Tristan, that is at Hoops Nut 351 altogether. And Tristan, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on again. I appreciate you joining me, and Tristan, it is the best time of year we're doing this as some of the West Coast games have yet to be able to finalize themselves from Saturday, but I think that you might be in agreement here. One of my biggest takeaways from what we wound up seeing on Saturday is just what we wound up getting out there in the SEC. Tennessee being able to get the job done, being able to get the win against a Kentucky team that couldn't have water if they fell out of a boat from three, but bigger than that, Texas A&M perhaps being able to play their way into the NCAA tournament with this recent run. Yeah, you know, you could argue that the SEC has been the top conference, at least from, you know, the top tier of it, and it's shown out in the tournament. Texas A&M, who, you know, were sort of a pretender early on with their easy schedule and then falling apart once SEC play came, have really roared on as of late, getting quality win over Auburn the other day and now over Arkansas, you know, the good news for them is they've avoided bad losses throughout the year, which allowed these kinds of wins to really boost a resume and potentially, like you say, get on the field. And then you look at Tennessee, who has quietly become a top 10 team in the country, beating Kentucky, I wouldn't say handily, but really looked like the better team and set up a really interesting matchup for tomorrow. The SEC tournament's been very fascinating to watch. And you could argue that Auburn and Kentucky are still, you know, top contenders, but likely played themselves onto the two-seed range and really putting themselves in very interesting position when it comes to where they're going to end up region-wise. Yep, I do think that that is going to be so fascinating. And you do have yourself a bunch of Texas A&M that has been able to play very well in the SEC in general. I've been quite impressed by them, and I'm not sure about you, but a conference I just have not been so impressed by is the teams out there in the Big Ten. Purdue was able to survive an advance against Michigan State. Offense was really able to wake up in the second half. And I would argue that Iowa's looked like really the best team from the Big Ten over the last few weeks, as strange as that is, even though their defense has been a little bit lax. But I just take a look at the Big Ten. I think that there are some warts with pretty much every one of the teams in this conference. And I do think that we could see quite a few Big Ten teams if the matchups are wrong, because I think that this year it's very matchup-based. But if they get the wrong matchups, it could be a relatively rough year for the Big Ten in the tournament once again. Yeah, I came into the Big Ten tournament thinking that there might be one, two teams tops that can get to the Sweet 16 and make a run. And I think the tournament has if only solidified it. You look at Wisconsin, obviously Johnny Davis isn't 100%, but they're very relying on him to win games. And then Illinois, they're a team that still doesn't know what they're going to do with Andre Corbello. He's part of the rotation. He has his moments, but then he also has moments where he struggles. And considering he's a bench player, you don't necessarily want him having that big of an impact. And when Alfonso Plummer and Trent Frazier aren't hitting threes, and Kofi Coburn isn't, you know, going for absurd numbers like 28 and 12, they're very vulnerable. And people are going to remember what happened with Loya Chicago last year, and they're definitely going to go up against better competition in the later rounds of the tournament. Are they necessarily the best team? They're probably, from a talent standpoint, most equipped to make a run. And with Purdue, Jay and Ivy has a good game. They beat Michigan State. But again, there is something about them that hasn't clicked the way it did early in the year. They haven't been dominant, scoring 80 points, 
you know, people talk about how their offense, you know, has the highest ceiling, but we haven't seen that. And yeah, you know, the Big Ten has a lot of good defenses and they know how to scout, but you could easily see them lose early on because their defense continues to not be impressive. Yep, I do agree with you there. I do think that Purdue has some massive liabilities when it comes to defense. On offense, they've been absolutely tremendous. They've got some of the giants of the earth on their roster as well, so they should be able to do a solid job of be able to hit the glass. But with that said, it just has not been able to come together for the team on defense. As we do have Tristan Freeman of Buston Brackets joining me right here on the podcast. And Tristan, when you take a look at some of the big major teams that have been able to get bids to the NCAA tournament, and this could be past Saturday as well, because we've seen a few teams that have been able to make runs in their conference tournaments, be able to survive in advance to go to the NCAA tournament. Is there a team or two that you've really been impressed by? I take a look at what Vermont did on Saturday. They wound up really standing out to me. Is there one or two that you just take a look at and you really like what you've seen out of them? This Indiana team, from a talent standpoint, I had them a preseason top 25 team. So what they have done this week, sort of, I think, solidifying their spot with wins over Illinois and Michigan it hasn't been too surprising, but it's really going to come down to how Xavier Johnson plays. He's very up and down. As someone who watched him at Pitt for a few years, he's capable of going for 30 in a game and 10 assists, and he's also capable of just not showing up. He's shown up this week. He played fantastic when Indiana needed him the most, and if they can get that version of him along with Trace Jackson Davis, who's good for 20-plus every night, they're a team that absolutely can, can win. It's going to come down to whether or not they're consistent enough. Yeah, I do think that Indiana is going to be a team that is going to be really fascinating as well. They're a high ceiling and a low floor team. And then when it comes to more of the mid-major aspect of things, I do think that Vermont is a team that's actually very capable of being able to win a game out there in the NCAA tournament. They wound up going on the road earlier this year, one and Northern Iowa. Now, that was a game in which they were without Ryan Davis, making it all the more impressive. They wound up playing at Maryland. I recognize Maryland, not necessarily the world's greatest competition, but they were able to hold up in that game as well, played a tough game against Providence. I'm not sure about you, but I just take a look at this Vermont team with the way that they wind up playing super slow but super efficient. If they're able to get their tempo in a game, they could give a scare to a three or a four seed if they do wind up lining up on that, say, 13-14 seed line. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the week, Friday was very difficult if you were a one seed. A lot of you know mid-major one seeds, including like Iona, fell out. But earlier in the week, you had teams like Vermont, South Dakota State, Colgate, teams that consistently win their conferences and conference tournaments with legit pedigrees and talent make the field. There's going to be a lot of upset candidates. And Vermont's definitely one of them. They have really good players. Ben Shingu is, is a fantastic forward. They absolutely dominated the American East. They have a lot of senior leadership, quality guard play. They can shoot it well. They're definitely going to give a team a run because they're one of those teams that just they're not going to beat you themselves. If you're going to beat Vermont, it's because you legitimately played well. And if the wrong team, you know, is a little sleepy early on, he catches them on the wrong night. They absolutely can knock somebody off. Yeah, I think that they're a team that they really stood out for me in terms of what we wound up seeing on Saturday. Now, UMBC, certainly not necessarily like the Monsters of Midway or anything like that, but being able to help somebody out of 82 to 43, that is really impressive, as we do have Tristan Freeman joining me on the podcast. And Tristan, as we're doing this, we've got all five games set that we're going to be seeing on Sunday. We wound up talking quite a bit about the Big Ten, so we I think we know what to expect there. Probably not a whole heck of a lot of defense in that game, but... I take a look at this Memphis versus Houston game, and I think it's so intriguing because there was a point in which I said that Penny Hardaway was the 
absolute worst coach in all of college basketball. And I mean, in terms of X's and O's, I'm sure that we're not going to be putting him in the same vein as John Beeline or anything like that. But I think he's done a really good job of being able to get this Memphis team playing down the stretch. Now, does Calvin Sampson have a little bit of an in-game advantage on him? Yes, but I take a look at this Memphis team. I don't know if they're going to be able to complete the season sweep against Houston, but I think that they're very live in this game. I think that this is a Memphis team that they're going to be able to showcase themselves and are going to be a very tough out for Houston on Sunday. And then moving forward to the NCAA tournament, if they get one of those middle seeds, I would not want to be in their region. Yeah, I think when it comes to Memphis, it's really going to determine what people do with them in their brackets. I think the late season run, I think the narrative that Imani Banks not being there makes his team a lot better, has been solidified. If they beat Houston and they're potentially a nine seed, I think depending on who's on the one spot, people are going to think long and hard about pulling a trigger on that upset. Because Hardaway, as even throughout his ups and downs, he's always been able to coach defense and coach the guys hard. Now that there's set rotations, now that guys know their role and, and guys are healthy, including Jalen Duran, who's been fantastic as of late, they look like a top 25 team. And you could argue, had they been set with the rotations, they probably would have won you know, the AAC, especially against this Houston team that's been fairly depleted in the backcourt. I think credit to Kelvin Sampson for, hope, for keeping them strong and ranked at this point, but they're probably going to be a team that people are going to have losing early, especially if they're a five or six seed, depending on where they end up. Yeah, I think that's going to be so interesting to see where Memphis winds up getting seeded. And as openers are coming out right now, I'm seeing Memphis as between a five and six point underdog against Houston. I think that's a little bit too lofty. I think that Houston winds up getting the job done outright, but I do think that Memphis going to be very live in that game as we do have Tristan Freeman of Bus and Brackets joining me on the podcast. And Tristan, how about if we wind up taking a look at this Atlantic 10 final as well? Richmond versus Davidson. Richmond, I feel like wound up getting here because Malachi Smith for Dayton wound up going down with an injury. Very, very sad state of affairs. Who knows what's going to be happening with Dayton on Selection Sunday at this point because, hey, they might be playing in Dayton, so that would be sort of hilarious. But with that said, you've got a Davidson team that has been one of the most efficient on offense in all of college basketball. Richmond team that they've got a bunch of veteran leadership. I love Jacob Gilliard. I think that he's going to be the best player out there on the floor. I feel like Richmond might be a little bit outgunned in this spot, but I think that this is going to be a very fascinating game between two highly efficient teams in Richmond and Davidson. This is potentially the last meaningful game that those Richmond seniors are playing. And they're not regular seniors. They're they're fifth-year COVID seniors. So these guys, with the exception of Tyler Burton, who quite frankly is an NBA draft candidate, they're all going to be gone after this year. So this is truly their last stand. And they got a lucky break, but, you know, that tends to happen with miracle runs. And this was a team that I and many others had as the preseason favorite and that they were supposed to do what Davidson has done, which is be a nearly unstoppable offense. And the Wildcats have been great now that Foster Lawyers back and healthy. They've, you know, done their part and got to the finals. But it's going to be interesting because Richmond's going to want this more. Davidson is in no matter what. But if you're a Richmond and you have one game, especially if you're, you know, Jacob Gilliard, you know, can you come out with an all-time performance Sunday afternoon and claim your spot? You still have yet to have a bid steal. I can't remember the last time we truly haven't had a bid deal. So between this game and then Texas A&M versus Tennessee, you almost have to feel like one of those has to end up with the upset just so that we could truly say that we have a big thief. And I'd be surprised if Richmond 
is the one that gets it tomorrow. Yep, Richmond is not going to be in the NCAA tournament if they do wind up losing. I will say if Texas A&M winds up losing, but they give a spirited effort against Tennessee, they may have done enough to be able to get in the NCAA tournament. That is going to be a tight call. I'd be putting them in much before, say, I'm looking at you, Xavier, who wound up losing eight out of your last 10 games. So I do think that that is going to be very, very fascinating to see how that winds up shaking out. And Tristan, I know that you're doing a great job of tracking this. You do absolutely amazing work over there at Bus and Brackets. You just all throughout the year always follow college basketball. Heck, you've joined me in the offseason quite a few times. I'm sure that you will be this offseason as well when we might have taken a look at things. So all the good people at home know how they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. You can follow my work at Bustin' Brackets either online or on our Twitter handle at Bustin' Brackets. For me personally, at HoopsNut351. Definitely talking nonstop hoops between now and Selection Sunday. It's going to be an incredible time and Definitely, Greg, we'll be talking to you all throughout, not only online, but definitely drop the offseason because between the transfer portal and the crazy head coaching moves that we just gone through with Will Wade, the season truly isn't going to stop. Yep, and you are out there in the city of Pittsburgh, and I would not be surprised if we wind up seeing at least one coaching move made either in or very close to your city as well. So you're going to be a busy man with that. And Tristan just always brings it on this podcast. Guy does absolutely amazing work over there at Bus and Brackets. And it was great to get him aboard today. So big thanks to Tristan for joining me right here on Coast Coast Soups. Now part of the Vison family podcast coming up next. It is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on all five games that we've got on this college basketball championship Sunday as we hit some big shots. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Spears, and now part of the Vison family of podcasts. It is always a pleasure to get Tristan Freeman on the podcast. He's doing a great job out there in the great state of Pennsylvania, being able to hold it down, taking a look at all things college basketball over there at Bustin' Brackets. They do a great job, and every time Tristan has joined me this year, he has brought it, did so once again today. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on all five championship games that we've got on this college. College Basketball Championship Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUNIT underscore D1. This time it's really easy. We're going in time order. We don't have any extra games. We don't have to fuss around with it. So that keeps things all nice, neat, clean, and easy there. So without further ado, we're just going to get into it. 633, 634, Princeton and Yale. Championship game out there on the campus of Harvard at Cambridge as you've got Princeton finding themselves a three-point favorite. And your total on scheme going to be getting at anywhere between a 142 and a half and a 143. And I did wind up saying my total at a 147. You've got a Princeton team that they rank in the top 15 in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per possession basis and this is a team that they rank in the top 20 nationally in terms of three point shooting percentage. Now Yale, they're a team that they do rank in the top 100 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis so they've been able to do a solid job there but you've got Tison Eva Booman who's been able to give you 15 and a half points, 6 at boards, 5 assists stealing that per contest as a 6 foot 8 combo player for this Princeton team and then you take a look outside of them your next top 4 scores all shoot at least 38.7% from 3 point range Jalen Llewellyn along with Ethan Ethan Wright, these two guys have been able to combine for 30 points per contest. Wright has been able to give you seven boards per game. Llewellyn gives you right around two and a half assists per game. And then Ryan Langbord and Dan Freiberg, these two guys combine for more around 20 and a half points per contest. And you've got a 
Princeton team that they have been rough at the free throw line, shooting right around 65% at the charity stripe. But Lou Allen, Wright, Langbord, Freiburg, these guys combined to shoot right around 73-74% at the free throw line. So you're trustworthy guys have been solid there. Meanwhile, you've got a Yale team that they really just rely upon Azir Swain to be able to get everything going for this team. It's been incredible this year. 19 points, 4.5 boards. She's 89% at the free throw line. If there is an edge for Yale, they do shoot right around 74% at the free throw line. They shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, and you wind up seeing Swain really take over the game against Penn yesterday. He wound up having 25 points in that contest with Yale. Big issue for this team. You don't have a single guy that's averaging really more than 4.5 rebounds per game. Jalen Gibbon has been able to contribute a little bit more to this. A guy that is giving you right around 3.5 rebounds per game. He wound up having 9.7 boards in the win yesterday. And yesterday, Yale was a team that was able to do a relatively solid job of being able to take care of the ball. Seven turnovers in that game, but with Yale, what I do fear for this team is that they aren't going to be able to hold up when Princeton does wind up being able to take it inside. Obviously, Princeton, a team that they like to be able to take their threes, but this is a Yale team that they're outside the top 225 with regards to opponents' two-point shooting percentage. And I mean, really, when you take a look at both of these teams. They are relatively rough on the glass, so I do think that you're going to find yourself with second and third chances. Yale is a team that they rank right around 165th in all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate. Princeton is a team that they've been a little bit up and down with regards to their rebounding. They rank right around 126th. I do think that Princeton has a little bit of an edge on the glass, and with not having really too many ancillary scores outside of Azir Swain, I think that it's going to be tough for Yale to be able to get the job done. Last time these two teams wound up playing, you have to go back to mid-February. Princeton got the job done 81 to 75 in that contest, a game in which Princeton wound up going 9 to 22 from three point range, overcame the fact that they wound up having a turnover discrepancy of 12 to 8, losing that battle, but they were able to do a solid job on the glass. I think that you're going to see something similar. Semi total at 147. I'm looking over and I'm willing to lay it here with Princeton as I did wind up making them a three and a half point favorite. So it would take for me four or more to be able to take a shot here. On Yale, as we move on to 645, 646 on the betting board, Richmond and Davidson are going to be doing battle out there in Washington, D.C. You've got yourself, Davidson, find themselves between a three and three and a half point favor. We're seeing a mixture of both in your total on game. Going to be getting at anywhere between 136 half and 137 and the spot in which I do want to make Davidson a three and a half point favor. I would need, once again, much like with Yale, Four or more is what I would need to be able to take a shot here on Richmond. You take a look at the Spiders team, and they were able to survive an advance yesterday, but much of that was due to the fact that Malachi Smith for Dayton wound up going out mid-game, and this is a... Richmond team that they rank outside the top 125 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, I will say Davidson, they do have their warts as well when it comes to defense, but this is also a Davidson team that they've been able to go bombs away from three. They rank in the top 15 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. And a big reason why is because they shoot it well from three-point range both at home and on the road. As a matter of fact, they shoot significantly better from three-point range on the road. Davidson shoots 34% from three in home games. In road and neutral court environments, going into yesterday, they were shooting 41.7% from three-point range. Santa Clara, Jacksonville State, South Dakota State. Only three teams are shooting better from three-point range in a road and neutral court environment. You now have Foster Lawyer back in the fold for this Davidson team. A guy that they will give you 16.5 points per contest. Looked a little bit rusty against Fordham yesterday against St. Louis. Was able to put up 21 points, 5 rebounds. That's a foster lawyer that we all know and love. Luka Bravich, along with Hunjun Lee. These two guys combined for 13 rebounds, right around 31.5 points per game. They do a solid job of shooting threes themselves. Both of these guys shoot north of 38.5% from 3 inch with Bravich being 6'10", shooting 43% from the outside. You've got another 43% 3-point shooter, Michael Jones, who's really been able to come on down the stretch. He's giving you right around 12 points per contest. He's been able to give you 8-plus, and now 5 out of the team's last 6 contests. They 
you take a look at the flip side for Richmond, and you do have a guy that does a great job of being able to pickpocket. That would be Jacob Gilliard. Gilliard has really been able to take over for this team. One of the most efficient point guards in all of college basketball. Guy that has been able to generate 3.1 steals per contest, 13 points. Turns the ball over only one and a half times per contest. Richmond in the top 20 in all of college basketball in terms of turnovers per game. And Davidson, in regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, they find themselves in the top 25 as well. You take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing. You go back to January. It was very much a airbrain game. Davidson went on the road. They got the job done 87-84 to 84 in a game which neither team could wind up missing from three-pointers. Richmond was 12 of 32. Yeah, Davidson go 13-27. and 27. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more tight in this game. You had a pair of teams that they're not really looking to push a tempo. Davidson in the bottom 35, as a matter of fact, with regards to total possessions per game. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're able to get out of this Richmond team, and they rank more around 250th. They should be able to do a solid job down low. Tyler Burton along Grant Golden. These are guys with size that lead the team in scoring. They combine to be able to give you 30 and a half points, 13 and a half rebounds. Golden gives you three assists. Burton's able to shoot 38% from three-point range, but I do think that Davidson is going to be able to do a good job of being able to execute late. Richmond shoots right around 72% at the free throw line. Davidson, more around 75% at the free throw line. It's a Davidson team that they don't necessarily have tremendous depth, but you've got a Richmond team that you really don't have a lot of outside options aside from really your main three with regards to scoring. Nate K.O. has his question marks. Nick Sherrod has not looked like himself this year with only about six and a half points per contest, so I'm willing to lay up to three and a half here with Davidson. I think that you get a little bit of a lower scoring slog in this game. Set this total at a 134 and a half, so dive in under and one later with Davidson. 647-648 on the bang board. SEC title game. Texas A&M and Tennessee doing battle out there in Tampa, Florida. Tennessee is between a 6.5 and a 7-point favorite. Your total on this game and between 130.5 and, and 131 is at my total at a 130.5. I would much rather have a 131 under rather than a 130 over if it winds up coming down to that. So right now I'm taking a look at it and I'm right now feeling the under unless we wind up seeing a multiple point move on this total. But when it comes down to it, I've set Tennessee as a 5.5 point favorite. I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a team on a mission. You've got sort of that desperation mode with this team, trying to win every game evenly possible to get into the NCAA tournament. And one thing that Texas A&M does a very good job of, they're able for steals. They get a little bit over temper contests, and really both of these teams do a solid job of that. Both of these teams rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball when it comes to steals on a per-possession basis. So I do think that that's going to be able to help out. Now, Tennessee is an interesting team in that they've only got one guy that gives you more than five rebounds per game. That'd be Josiah Jordan James, Swiss Army Knife guy, nine and a half points, five and a half boards. He's able to give you a steal and a block per contest. Guy just winds up making winning plays. I like what he's able to bring to the table. Despite that, this is a Tennessee team that they rank right around 63rd in the country with regards to rebound rate. Texas A&M, they've got about a 50% rebound rate. They are league average with that regard, but I do like what you're getting out of Tyrese Radford along with Henry Coleman the third. Both of these guys combined to be able to give you right around 12 rebounds per game. Both of these guys give you between 10 and a half and 11 and a half points per game. Quinn Jackson, 14 and a half points. He shoots 36% from three-point range. Texas A&M has been a little bit suspect with regards to their outside shooting, but it's been starting to come along for this team. Texas A&M wound up losing about a month ago. Marcus Williams, a transfer from Wyoming, which he thought was going to hurt this offense a little bit more, but they've been able to get a lot recently out of Hassan Diaria, a guy that overall for the year has been able to give you six points per contest, but take a look at the way that he's been able to come on recently. He's been able to give the team double figures in now three of the team's last six contests. A guy that is a little bit of a microwave scorer, shooting about 30% from three-point range, but wound up having a big impact in that game against Arkansas yesterday, and then you just take a look at this Texas A&M team. They're able to go right around 9-10 to 10 deep. I think that that's going to affect a Tennessee team that they're a team that they're really looking to pound you into oblivion. Top 15 in all of college basketball, the guards points a lot on a per-possession basis, and with the Tennessee team, you do notice that they've got some pretty demonstrative home and road splits when it comes to points scored on a per-possession basis, scoring right around 9 points 
per 100 fewer when they are on the road rather than at home. Kennedy Chandler, Santiago Viscovi both give you right around 13 half points per contest. Chandler entered in yesterday shooting 36% from three-point range. Viscovi right around 40% from three, but it is a situation which Tennessee, they themselves do get a little bit loose with the ball. They turn the ball over right around 12 and a half times per game. A very much mid-tempo team. I do like the way that Zagai Ziegler has been able to come on for the team. Take a look at what he's been able to do. Double figures in four of the team's last five contests and it's really been good at being able to dish out the ball as well. He didn't necessarily have a lot of assists in that game against Kentucky, but prior to that, 14 assists to five turnovers in the previous two contests. I do think that you're going to get yourself a slow-down, grimy game in which both teams are going to be able to generate a lot of seals. I think that it's going to be rough for these offenses. Set my total at a 130.5. I'm looking under, and with Tennessee, made them a 5.5-point favorite, so going to be looking to take the points here with Texas A&M. 649-650 on the betting board, the American Conference Final, as you've got Memphis and Houston doing battle. This opened up actually at six in a few spots. Right now we're seeing this line settle in anywhere between five and five and a half with Houston being the favorite total on this game. You're finding it at a 134 and I think that this total should be a little bit higher. You do have a Memphis team that they really look to push a pace. They're in the top 50 in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. It is a Memphis team that you wound up seeing it on full display yesterday and it has been the case all throughout the season. They do get loose with the ball. They turn the ball over over 16 times for contests among 358 D1 teams. They rank in the bottom 50 team with that regard, but you do have a Houston team that they themselves have their warts in that they're not necessarily too great at the free throw line. They shoot right around 67% at the free throw line. That's in the bottom 25 in all of college basketball. This is a line that I do wind up setting. Houston being a four-point favorite. I do think that Houston going to be able to exact revenge. Memphis wound up being able to win both of the meetings that these two teams wind up having during the regular season, but with Houston, they're a team that they really do a great job on the glass. Number one in all of college basketball in regards to the percentage of their missed shots that they wind up getting an offensive rebound on right around 38 to 39% of them. A big reason why Fabian White Jr. along Josh Carlton. These two guys combined to be able to give you 25 points, 12 and a half rebounds. White is able to shoot about 40% from three. Houston has a whole, they shoot 34% from three, but we've seen that fall off ever since the beginning of American Athletic Conference play. You've got Kyler Edwards who's able to give you 13 and a half points, six parts, three assists. I'll argue that he's going to be the best guard out there in this game, but Jalen Duran has been terrific down low for Memphis. 12 and a half points, eight boards. He's going to be able to keep Memphis very live on the glass and if you want to take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing, you only have to go back about a week or so ago. It was Memphis who wanted winning the battle on the glass, 32 to 25 in that game. It was a 75 to 61 W in that game. Memphis did wind up turning the ball over 17 times, but they forced Houston into 20 turnovers as well. A Houston team that they only turned the ball over right around 11 and a half times for contest because you do have Jamal Sheed doing a good job at the point guard spot. He's able to give you nine and a half points, six assists, only turns the ball over right around two times per game. He also gives you right around 1.7 steals per contest. Both of these teams give you eight plus steals per game, but I do think that Memphis, being a little bit of a better free throw shooting team, it's not terrific, but right around 69.5% of the charity stripe going to be big. Also, you've got DeAndre Williams, the guy that stands right around six foot nine ever since he went against Alabama, a guy that has been able to shoot north of 40% from three with his size, 11 points, five and a half boards. That's going to be really big along with Lester Keonis and Landers Nolly, both give you 10 points per game out there in the backcourt. I do think that you're going to get a rather up-tempo game. you got a Houston team that ranks in the top 30 in both points scored and points allowed under per possession basis and for Memphis after they wound up having a really rough start to the year on defense. They've really been a top 10 defensive efficiency team ever since the beginning of the month of February so I did wind up saying my total 138. I do think that you get plenty of possessions for and over in this game but I did wind up saying Houston has a four point favorite so going to be willing to take the points here with Memphis. And we wrap things up with my DK Nation pick. 651-652 on the betting board. It is Iowa and Purdue. Purdue is finding themselves a one to one and a half point favorite. Your total on this game is anywhere between 148 and 148 and 
and a half. And when it comes down to it with Purdue, I'm willing to lay up to two with them. I am willing to lay the small number here, but the DK Nation pick is going to be on the total. I wound up saying my total of 152. Both times these two teams wound up playing, both teams wound up being able to get to that 70-point plateau. And you just take a look at the way that I was playing. They're playing games that are just absolute shootouts right now. 75-plus points in 11 out of their last 12 games. And that lone outlier, they scored 72 points in that game. So, I mean, this is a team that they're putting up their points. Both of these teams rank outside the top 130 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. And their outside shooting travels. You've got an Iowa team that has actually shot better from three-point range in a road and neutral court environment at 37.5%. Then at home at 36.5%. Purdue, they're in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to road and neutral court three-point shooting percentage themselves. You've got Keegan Murray, who's been amazing for this Iowa team. 23.5 points, 8.5 boards to go along with a steal and a half and two blocks per contest. And then past him, Tony Perkins has actually been able to come on for the team as well. A little bit of an unlikely guy out there in the backcourt who wound up having 16 points a few days ago in that win against Rutgers. He was able to do it yesterday with 8 points against Indiana. Has become a nice little glue guy out there in the backcourt. Gave off 5 assists in that win as well. Jordan Bohannon who somehow, someway is still in college basketball is a good sharp shooter. 88.5% the free line, 39% from 3 in Iowa. In terms of turnovers on a per possession basis, they rank in the top 5 in all of college basketball. They also do a good job of generating seals. Right around 8.5 per contest. You can't say that for Purdue. Purdue is a team that they are in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball with regards to turnovers forced on a per possession basis, but they've got balance. Each out of their top five scores that have made at least one three-point shot this year are shooting at least 36.5% from three-point range. Four of them shoot at least 39.5% from three-point range. You've got Travion Williams, Zach Eady, who I think are going to be able to win the battle down low. They combine to be able to give you just under 15 rebounds per game. Williams, it will give you 11.5 points on 41% three-point shooting. Eady, just a giant of a man that's able to give you a little bit over a block per contest. Purdue's defense, well, it's still certainly been unsightly, but it seems to be coming along for the ride a little bit more. This is a team that they have now given up 70 points or fewer in each out of their last five contests, and for that matter, they have given up more than 70 points in just one out of their last eight games, so it is a Purdue team that they seem to be improving a little bit more on that side of things. I do think that Iowa's going to be able to speed this game up, but I just think that Purdue's outside shooting, the fact that I think that they're going to be able to win the battle on the glass, and the fact that you've got Purdue only turning the ball right around 11 half times per game as well, is going to allow Purdue to be able to get the job done. It is very difficult to be able to beat a team three times during the season, but I do think that Purdue is going to be able to do it here. Just take a look at the first two matchups. I think that you end up getting another high-scoring game. DK Nation pick is the over in this spot, and I'm willing to lay up to two here with Purdue, and that will wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. A big thanks to Tristan Freeman of Buxton Brackets for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GRSCORTY1. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter. Size so per usual. Please send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. I'm going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.